You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlis, and maybe somebody else. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 31 for March 10th, 2008. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And you know what? Before we get the episode started, of course, we've got to throw these out there just so that everybody knows that if they hear something today or they've heard something in the past, you have a comment, question, feedback, all that good stuff. You know what? You can drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or like so many of you have been doing so far, and we definitely appreciate it. Leave us a message by picking up your landline and you can call us at 623-242-2450. I, I guess you could use your cell phone too if you really wanted to. Just no phone calls while driving and screaming at people. Yeah, not you while live, you're like, driving. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. Or eating and also disciplining the kids simultaneously while asking us a question. Not a good scenario. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. So what's going on, Mark? How you been doing? I've been doing okay. Had um, a very cool week and got another one coming this week we have a lot of people who just either happen to be in the area or representatives from companies who happen to be or, you know sales reps and things traveling through the area so we've gotten uh, quite a few visitors and a lot more to come in the next month so it's it's kind of interesting i i'm you know how it is normally if you're uh your average weekend woodworker or you, you just kind of do your thing and you don't really have many people over necessarily. And now with the whole Wood Whisperer thing, it's a little bit different because, you know, people, uh, we don't mind having guests stop over and we give them a little quick shop tour and stuff like that. But it's just a little bit of a change of pace from what I'm used to. So now you are like a destination vacation spot is yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Hey, we do have a pool, you know, if they want to hang out and we'll barbecue. Um, there but, you go. Yeah. Now you can combine like, you know, the, the barbecue pit with the, uh, the the pool and then maybe get a little, you know, like uh, Casa de la Mark going on in the back or something. <laughs> Casa de la Spagnolo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's fun, though. And uh, we actually had the good fortune of a very special guest uh, recently. A lot of you may be aware. And if you listen to this uh, show, you sure are. Um, Kaleo Kala came back from Australia, mate. And he's back in the states, and I guess he uh, he's got family all over the place. It sounds like so they hit Hawaii, and then they were in Southern California, which is only about uh, maybe a four hour drive, and of course a very short flight. So he actually came out to uh, to visit. It was it was really cool. Excellent. Of course, I've got to ask. You know, um, did you hit the In and Out burgers with him? Is that like the first stop? That you made? <laughs> well, he came in, and I, I had already emailed him. I said, "Hey, did you you know get a chance to finally get that burger?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "They literally got off the plane, and that's the first thing they did." Uh, but he hadn't had one since then, and he skipped breakfast. So as soon as he got here, uh, Nicole and I were like, "You know what? Let's just go get some lunch." So we ran out to In and Out, and we all had our, our fair share of double doubles, and, uh, and it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. So uh, it was like a whirlwind trip. He came out in the morning, excuse me, I'm burping, and he uh, <laughs> he left around uh, I don't know, like five o'clock. Um, but it was just a very quick trip, and it was awesome. We got some footage for the Wood Whisper. In fact, the next episode is going to be this little visit that he had. And I, I was like, you know what? You're here, man. I'm going to put you to work. So I, I got behind the camera. And, um, you know, to me, someone who goes through uh, school like that has a unique perspective on some of the rudimentary things that a lot of us forget or never really get a chance to learn if all we do is read books, watch videos, um, you know, do this, uh, read the magazines. You, you may miss some of those finer points. So I just, you know, had him go over a few things like chisel work and saw work and 
uh, you know, just a quick review and more or less just to give him some face time, let him talk about what he's up to and, and his show and stuff. So, uh, excellent. Yeah, it turned out to be a really, really nice trip. And he's he's a he's a good dude, and I'm sure anytime I head out in his area, I think he's going to be heading back to the Virginia D.C. area pretty soon. Um, you know, anytime I'm there, I'll stop by, and I, I encourage everybody to check out uh, his site. Um, what's what's the address now? Kaleosworkshop.com. Right. Yep. Okay. And uh, you know, follow the links to his his other regular site too. I mean, the, he, he's definitely somebody to watch. I mean, here's a guy who. Dropped everything, went to school for two years, and now he's embarking on his journey uh, as a professional woodworker. And and it's very interesting to watch. The fact that he's putting all this stuff out there for everyone to see is is fantastic. We can all learn a lot from watching someone go through this experience. And um, yep. you know, with any luck and you know a, a tiny pinch of magic, uh, hopefully <laughs> you know he'll be a yeah. success. And we'll all know him before he was a super successful you know ten thousand dollar rocker chair kind of guy. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really, really exciting. It is. I think it's a, a different perspective for a lot of, of of people who, you know, as as a home woodworker. I mean, to me, it's like one of those I flip through a catalog. And I'm like, OK, I'm making that. OK, I'm going to make that. I'm going to make that. Right. I can't imagine actually going to school and, you know, and, and, and getting a degree in this and actually sitting down and learning all this stuff and being able to actually translate it and come home and do such a thing. So yeah, yeah huge kudos to him for, for doing this. I mean, that really is one of those. It takes some big ones to, you know, pack everything up and I, I think also for you if you have a similar situation where you kind of just like dropped what you were doing you know what you're before and actually sit down and go all right i'm gonna make a career at this <laughs> right it's it's a challenge man i mean you got to have a very supportive family um if, if you're married and uh you've got people that you're responsible for it's very very tricky and uh and you know not everybody can do it but if you're determined enough you know the bottom line is if you make that switch um it, I, I don't know. It's sort of, I think Kalea would know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've made the switch from one career to another, it's probably because you become so disenchanted with what you are doing for a living that y- you're just full of, you know, excuse the phrase, but full of piss and vinegar to yep. really make this work. And, and you love it. You know, you enjoy every minute of it, but there's still that business side aspect. But you endure all that stuff for the sake of being able to do this for a living. And, and you know, I'll take, uh, you know, I'll, I'll trade one day of pursuing my own dreams, you know, over, uh, pursuing someone else's dreams and and sitting in some office, you know, like I used to, um, you know, just following orders and doing my job and, and not, you know, looking at anything, but waiting for the clock to turn to four o'clock so I can get the heck home and do things that I care about, you know? Um, Oh yeah. Yep. That's where I am right now. And you're right. It's the support of a loving family. I have a loving family, but they have no means whatsoever to support me to follow my (laughs) dream. (laughs) I mentioned it once and you know what, how about I hang a shingle? They're like, how about you get your butt back to work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what you got to do? You got to get those kids working. How old are they? Uh, Six and 10. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm working on it right now. Let's see. That's plenty old, man. Plenty old. Yeah, then they remind me, of course, of my one dream years ago when I was a big mountain biker of, you know, quitting the day job and becoming a uh, messenger courier around <laughs> Muskegon. Now, if anybody knows Muskegon, there's no need for it. You just shout <laughs> across the street and people get the message. So that one go. was pretty shot. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, now, I remember you mentioned, um, we'll probably talk a little bit about education uh, today. I think it's on both of our minds. But you were telling me about this class that you got with uh, the Schwarz. I think we should refer to him from now on. Not okay, cr- yeah. Not, not Chris Schwartz, but the Schwartz. Um, yeah. 
Tell, tell he's going to be building that huge Obra mogul type, <laughs> yeah. you know, that Dave was talking about. <laughs> Just the, well, he'll he's going to achieve single name status, so it won't, you know, he won't have to use his first name anymore. <laughs> um, but you, you were you were mentioning taking a class with him soon. To tell tell me a little bit more about that. And I think b- before the show, you were mentioning some issue about the saw, the recommended saw, or whatever. Let you know, tell yeah, everybody absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Yep. Coming up on March 16th in uh, Sterling Heights, Michigan, he's going to be making an appearance. Actually, he's there for the whole weekend. He has two classes. One is on Saturday the 15th, which is, uh, I believe he's talking about uh, hand-cut dovetails. He's doing a class on that. But the class that I opted to take was called, it's titled, The Forgotten Art of Handsawing. And I I don't know how forgotten it is. I think a lot of people like it and go, there's a reason why we choose not to do it, and there's a reason (laughs) why we've forgotten it. (laughs) Right. The ignored. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually probably be the better term for it, the ignored art of handsaws. <laughs> right, yeah. But really the, the class is a um, – he's talking about actually using uh, handsaws and backsaws to essentially, you know, she, through a different series of exercises and everything, uh, how to like rough cut dimensions for like, you know, any type of work you're doing, like whether it's casework or whatever you're building. You know, just you, you can rough dimension it right to a line and then using to use more specialized uh, backsaws, specifically a uh, – like a dovetail saw or a carcass saw or a tenon saw sure. to actually use those to make the uh, pieces that are recommended for you. Let me go with a carcass saw. A lot of people look at that. And I know I've, I've actually heard from, I tried to contact somebody over at the local woodcraft near me and it must have been a new guy. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for a Lee Nielsen carcass saw. He's like a car, what? And I'm like a carcass <laughs> saw. And he's like, uh, was, I'm, positive this guy was thinking i was talking about some sort of meat saw or something you know like I'm gonna be butchering some animals but you know like a carcass saw is pretty much anything that you would use to uh work in the actual body of the whatever you're working with whether you're building a case or something you know and sure so you'd, you'd use that and um i got the list actually of of uh recommended items and it was so funny because you know kind of um going on about the, the tools themselves it was a perfect opportunity. I looked at the list, and there was a few tools that I didn't have in my collection currently. And I'm like, um, this is it. This is my excuse. I've got to get these tools. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to this. It's an all-day class, and I think we're actually going to be building like a saw bench, I think, is what um, the final result, taking all these exercises that we're going to be doing with the tools themselves to put together and actually build something with them so we can show him how bad we are with the tools (laughs) (laughs) and go from there. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, And like I said, it's in the Sterling Heights, uh, Sterling Heights, Michigan, the Woodcraft store down there. Um, Hey, if anybody wants to stop by, I think there's like a lunch hour or something, just stop by and maybe I could say hi and, you know, I know there's one person who said he'd show up, and so that'll be curious, but uh, I don't know. See how it goes. Maybe maybe then like a lot of people would show up in Woodcraft and be like, oh, we got to usher you out the back door. There's too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Your adoring fans, Matt, are going to flood the store. I'm, I know it. I can see it now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting, but I, I guarantee you that um, you know the, the the Schwartz. If you're listening, I promise I will be the quietest person in the class because I get so like nervous during these things. <laughs> <laughs> Just intimidated. Yeah, I would get intimidated around the Schwartz too. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. So now, I mean, the whole thing with the classes is really cool. Um, one thing I was thinking about is. I was just talking to Nicole about the goal of our show, things that we can do in the future. And um, one of those things was traveling, you know, and sort of making it part of the the budget that we're we're creating for the show to go to different places, go to different woodworkers, uh, you know, see certain techniques that we, I mean, I may know how to get by and get something done, but I'm certainly not a master at, at 
particular techniques, whereas there are other people out there in the world who could certainly do a much better job of showing you the details of this stuff. So Mm -hmm. we just thought it would be cool to to go around and do things like that. But in addition to that, uh, sort of an add-on to that, you know, I was thinking too that I'm not by any means anywhere near where I want to be in terms of my personal learning. I still have a lot more that I want to do. So I started thinking, what would happen if we just made it part of our budget to attend, I don't know, four, five, six, however many we could afford to fit in, uh, classes during the year next year that would serve two purposes. Number one, I get to go to a class. That's, you know, I can't beat that. No, um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anytime you can, even if it's stuff you technically should already know, it's it's just fantastic to reinforce those things and hear it from another person's mouth because a lot of times... I mean, it may be the same stuff, but you may find a different way to do something that you didn't know about. Um, right. You know, but secondarily, to be able to go to these schools, and it comes up all the time uh, in, in questions during email or chats, which schools are good, where would you recommend going? And I've never attended, you know, most of these. So how can I really wholeheartedly give them a recommendation other than to say, oh, yeah, I, I know that instructor. He's he's cool. You'll probably like it. Um, right. So that's part of what, what I think we want to do is we want to hit a couple of these different schools and, and be able to speak firsthand about the uh, experience there and excuse me and what people might be able to expect if they do uh, get a class there. Yeah, that would be a great. You know, I've thought about that, too, because that is that's one of my goals. You know, we talked way earlier on about like New Year's resolutions and everything. And that was one of my big ones, too, was to actually get out. And just like you said, you know, sometimes learning something that maybe you have a little bit of an idea or you think, you know, somewhat decent, um, get out and actually see somebody else's perspective on it. That's that's a great way to expand your knowledge and grow as a woodworker. So, I, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I've been thinking the same exact thing of actually traveling to, like, you know, more than just Bob next door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? And you're never too experienced. You're never too uh, learned, I guess, to, to stop everything and go back to a basic class. I mean, um, a lot of times we we get so far into our own personal habits that we forget a lot of those things, selectively forget things that we didn't think were important at the time. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I could actually benefit from doing it this way or doing it that way. So it's always good to to rehash, to read those old books that you haven't read in a while. And, and of course, to take these classes, uh, you know, that may seem like they're below your skill level, uh, but they still may be worthwhile to attend. Uh, so, so we're thinking that might be an exciting way to, to move into, uh, into the new year, possibly even this summer, if we can manage to work it out. Nice. Um, Yeah. Yeah, That'd be a way to follow around on that. Cool. Hopefully a lot of money though. You know, it's not going to (laughs) be cheap going from, uh, you know, one class to another. Maybe we'll work something out. I I was going to say, you know, maybe we'll contact them and say, Hey, you know, we'll talk about it on the show. We'll, uh, bring the camera. We could do an interview and, and all that stuff. But I'm wondering how, uh, how that's going to be received by the school because a lot of times, yeah, they wouldn't mind the advertising, but they don't necessarily want someone in the class who's like going to be running a camera. You know what I mean? And and that wouldn't be it at all. I wouldn't have the camera with me. That would sort of be an editorial thing done afterwards to say this is you know this is what happened in the class, and then we'll do a whole separate thing. But I don't know. I'm kind of thinking out loud here. Well, um, it probably would go something like this. You know, uh, many times I have tried to get things for free swag or have tried to. Find out just how big my ego really is. So it'll go like, you know, hi, this is Matt Vanderlist. I have a world famous woodworking podcast and I would like to click. Hello? Hello? <laughs> you call him back. Hey, I think something was wrong with the line. As I was saying, I'm famous. <laughs> yeah. Click. <laughs> oh, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends. Sometimes sometimes we can leverage that for, for uh, you know, for good things. And other times people just don't even 
know what a podcast is and it's not even on their radar of things to be concerned about and uh right. they're missing out anyways um <laughs> yeah you know hey speaking of something like that you know um one thing i i forgot to mention when we were talking about like the uh that the, the class with uh, um with uh chris with uh, the schwartz the schwartz um uh, uh, the the whole thing with the the tools, you know, I my I'm sure other people have been in a similar situation where you're going to do something, and now it's a great excuse to get that tool that you've always been eyeing and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, the tools, the the saws that I need to actually purchase for the class itself. Um, well, I, I I got a hold of Lee Nielsen because I'm like I'm going to go ahead and buy these. And I swear I didn't do the thing where I'm like, hi, this is Matt Vanderlis of Matt's Basement Workshop Podcast because <laughs> I know for a fact they would have hung up on me. They would have done it before. Right? Uh, no, just just kidding. They're really nice people there. <laughs> but uh, I I contacted them and I, I I bought some saws and everything. But the only thing is they are I don't know if anybody else has run into this. If you have and you're really you know wondering why it's taking so long for you to get your tools, apparently from what I understand, um, they are like way way backlogged. They have become such a high demand tool right now that I guess uh, they're like 30 days out plus and getting uh, tools out to people. So if wow. you, just like me, recently placed an order, uh, don't be like me and procrastinate till like the week before the class and go, oh, I better get these now and then expect them to get them to you because um, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> it was a pretty interesting situation. Yeah. And that, that to me, that's like one of those, I wonder how many other tool manufacturers out there are now dealing with anything like this, you know, yeah. because obviously, I mean, we keep hearing about how like the economy is slowing down and everything else, but we're not using the R word. Um, but apparently, the tool manufacturers are like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe there really is, you know, a major resurgence of of the hobby. You know, in terms of um, you know, like knitting and things like that is supposed to be huge for some people. Um, yeah, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, maybe that's what this is. Maybe there's there really are just that many people who are interested and, and they're out there buying the products. Yeah, definitely. It would be really interesting to find out how many other people are on the waiting list also. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I don't know if you remember, but I ordered uh, around Christmas time, I ordered some mortising chisels from uh, Lee Nielsen and wound up waiting a you know, not terribly long, but long enough for me to go into a forum and say, hey, is this normal? And, uh, and yeah, I guess they were having production, uh, uh, trouble keeping the production up with the, uh, demand, which is, hey, wow. you know what? That's good news. As far as I'm concerned, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. That, that definitely is speaking to, you know, the, 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 the woodworkers that are out there and then actually the demand for high quality, decent tools, not just the stuff that I used to get when I ran to the big box store. Right. Um, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it has a sharp edge. That's good for me. So right. people are maybe starting to realize what makes a good tool, which should make more people satisfied with their woodworking skills because they're actually going to work with tools that can handle it versus that frustration level. Sure. Although, you know what? I love me some marble chisels. Those marbles me? are fantastic. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Those are the ones I reach for every single time. That's a good they're probably one I think one of the best bargains out there in terms of uh hand tools and chisels. But anyway, speaking of really high quality tool manufacturers, did you see there's a couple of new products I just happened to come across and and notice. Um well, one of them first of all was the Powermatic uh air cleaner. Did you see that one? It's uh, I think the last issue of Fine Woodworking. It's on the back cover. Yeah, I did see that. That or, looks nice. Or Just maybe the, the shape inside. Of- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks the- it looks like a car almost, right? It's, it's yeah, pre- <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But it's probably, I mean, realistically, it's probably just the jet unit with a little bit, you know, updated electronics, a new remote, and that little grill on the front, and a, <laughs> and a yellow paint job. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was cool. It's something different. We haven't seen much in the way of different offerings for. 
um, you know, those types of room air cleaners like that. So something to look into. Um, right. Absolutely. The other ones that I noticed, uh, and this, you know, I couldn't help but notice, uh, the new router offerings from Festool and the new multifunction table uh, are supposedly due out in May, which is pretty pretty darn cool. So it's a total of, uh, I think, a total of three new products uh, that they're going to be putting out. And the, the multifunction table, I think they're actually doing away with the other two multifunction tables, the 1080 and the... Uh, 800 and this is basically going to be the only uh table from now on which is kind of interesting but it's got a lot of new features on it a lot of uh nice upgrades that just improve on a great idea to begin with um the routers are kind of neat they have both ends of the spectrum is what they're introducing here they've got the tiny laminate trimmer size router and then they've got the big daddy you know knock your socks off biggest router you've ever seen kind of router coming out um nice yeah so both of those are very cool uh I think what will probably be of most interest, aside from the table itself, to most people is that laminate trimmer. If you get a chance to go to to Festool's site, they have these little mini sites dedicated to the new products. Uh, definitely check those out. It's it's worth taking a look at. There are some unique features to that laminate trimmer um, that just crush the competition as far as no one else offering this type of thing. And then having you know near perfect dust collection at the same time is pretty pretty sweet. So just take a look yeah. at it. Sweet, yeah, because, I mean, anytime it comes to Festool tools, I mean, let's get serious, people. Some of the reason why some of you hate Festool is because their tools are so damn good. <laughs> I mean, they really are. They're, <laughs> they're designed with that, you know, like, you you really got to struggle to find something wrong with them. <laughs> yeah, you do, and, and and that's why the default problem with them, you know, for, for most people's perspective is the price. You know, it's the easiest thing to fault them for. Right, yeah, but of course you're getting what you pay for, and with that in that situation, you're you're getting something pretty damn good. I I don't own any Festool yet, but trust me, as soon as the uh, lottery ticket comes in, we're, we're getting. Those. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, and, and of course you can't expect it to be in everybody's budget. It's not going to be for everybody, and that's why there are other tools that do the job. So, um, you know, yep. enough about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what was the other thing I wanted to mention before we move on to some voicemails? We do have a decent amount of voicemails. We've been trying to. Uh, at least Matt's been doing a very good job of answering a lot of the emails directly uh, because we are getting a significant amount of voicemails. It seems like the voicemail season is uh, is, is active upon us. And, and upon us and ready to go. Um, you know, I guess I, I don't. We're getting so many voicemails. Sorry, is I think because it is so damn cold here in the Midwest that people <laughs> are afraid to like type away on the keyboard because it's going to break. My fingers are numb oh, from man. all this. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. I've got exactly the opposite here. It's just freaking gorgeous okay now i'm hanging up on sorry you. <laughs> I, I hate i hate to brag well no i like to brag but um all right let's see we've got yeah, there's a couple questions here that we might not even be able to answer but um it's one of those that i really like to get everybody else's feedback on so you know obviously a lot of people know the specific stuff more than we do so uh right. let's hear from hmm, let's hear from ben first he's got a question concerning traveling with furniture and designing furniture uh, so that it can actually move safely. Okay, cool. Hey, Mark, Matt, and Joe Show. Uh, this is Ben from uh, Connecticut. Uh, I have a question about uh, designing a, a table in general, but a particular desk I'm going to try to build. Um, I, I'm in the military, and I move every two years, and any piece of furniture I build has got to be able to get put on a moving truck and not get destroyed and be able to move around the house. Um, I'd like to build 
ideally, if I was building a table, I'd like to build solid legs that don't come apart. That's really just not practical. Uh, most commercial furniture has bolts that stick in the corner um, and just sort of fits in place, not really a butt joint even. I'd like to do something better than that, but still have legs that detach. Um, are there any ways to design the legs of a, a table in general, but a desk in particular, such that they can be taken apart, removed? Uh, would something like uh, a stop dovetail joint be appropriate? Would that work without glue in it? Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. It's a pretty interesting dilemma. You know, he wants to make it strong and make it a good piece of furniture without, uh, you know, making it with these weird, crappy connections at the same time. So, um, you know, I'll just rip off the top of my head what I'm thinking of. I know we used to have this old uh, crate and barrel little table and the legs on it, we've moved this thing, you know, I would say five or six different times and it's changed hands and it's still very sturdy uh, because it's got these this hardware. So the legs are sort of these independent pieces with a bolt uh, into the corner of the leg. So the bolt is probably one of those two-sided ones where it's got the aggressive screw on one end and then a standard like machine uh, thread on the other side. And it just goes into this hardware that hooks inside the aprons on the corner of the table. Uh, and you just basically feed the the bolt through the hole and attach it with uh, with this nut and it actually works really well and it's pretty darn sturdy so that's uh, a hardware option is certainly something to look at i don't know if it's the best option but that's one of them um right the only other thing i could think of is if you know he's talking about doing like a stop dovetail yeah he can certainly design joinery that locks in place but a few good swipes with a mallet knocks it back out uh, that's an option. Uh, one thing he could possibly consider are things like wedged tenons. Uh, yep. He could certainly think of things like how about a tenon with a, a dowel that goes all the way through, and you just you know get a, a a nail set or something and pop it out when it comes time to move it. So that that's also an option. Right. Yeah. That's I was kind of yeah. I think of like a they call them like a tusk tenon or something like that. Uh-huh. Where it kind of, sure. On the one side. You know, another one I was thinking of is yeah, you, the knockdown uh, um, hardware that you were talking about was the first thing that popped in my head. I know, depending on how you know sightly or unsightly you want it to be, um, you, you could probably get really I don't know uh, creative with that. I was thinking like uh, with um, uh, pocket hole screws, but the one problem with that though is eventually though you know the threads could potentially start to kind of wear out a little bit yeah. into where it's going into. So that kind of you have very limited option on that. I think like maybe you could tear it apart once, <laughs> maybe twice right. before you think about, you know, maybe filling the, the gap or something. But then that got me to thinking about if you want to be like really, really creative with that, maybe creating like a pocket hole joint, but rather than using like the traditional wood screws, like where the screw actually goes into the um, like the leg itself, you could maybe like put an insert nut and then like maybe somehow come up with a way to actually use like, you know, a... um like a, a machine screw to hold it in place. I don't know how well that would work. I mean, this is like just creative, creative off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who are like, don't do it. No way. <laughs> well, the whole <laughs> thing, is, I mean, it's got to be a compromise no matter how you look at it. So it's, you know, pick pick your poison. What's the least of the evils? Um, yep. I think the probably the easiest thing to do is, is a hardware solution. And then you just have to be creative about how you want to disguise it and hide it. Uh, but there's also some really beautiful solutions like we were just talking about with 
wedge tenons and like you said the tusk uh, tusk tenon and uh, things like that you can you can really get some pretty sturdy uh, furniture i mean benches are made that way a lot of times so that they can be knocked down um, yeah i mean even like uh, you know tavern tables and stuff and plus on top of it the nice thing about it is then you could really show off your creative side and really show people like you know how amazing of a woodworker I am. I did this and, and then show them how it's art. And then, you know, then you can make it supplement your income on the side. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. All right. We have another uh, voicemail here from Ski. And it's, ski. Uh, yeah, good old Ski. And he's concerned about uh, Forstner bits. He's quite surprised. Let's find out why. Oh, my. Another great episode. 29 was just spectacular, guys. Always great to hear you. And Matt. I feel you, man. I feel like you guys are in my living room. So, here's my question this week. I just bought myself some Forstner bits. And when I got them out of the box, I don't understand how they're going to cut a flat bottom when they have what looks like a brad point in the middle of the bit that clearly is going to have to go deeper than the rest of the bit. So, in the center, there seems to be a centering point that would then help align and keep it steady as it drives in for that first initial cut. But how am I going to get a flat bottom out of that? Are there two different kinds of Forstner bits? Ones that would have a perfectly flat bottom and one that would have a centering extra little widget there that would, uh, you know, mess me up? There's my question. Guys, as always, having a great time listening in Winona, Minnesota. Okie dokie. Well, you know what? The first thing I did was go to the shop. I looked at all of my... uh, all of my uh, Forstner bits and every single one of them has a spur on it. So I would say, I mean, what the vast majority are going to have that spur on there. We looked around and just tried to see if we could find any examples of ones that don't have it. And we couldn't, and I could have sworn that I've seen them in the past, but I couldn't find one. So um, yeah, because I, I was thinking, thinking like you know, like one of those sawtooth foresters or something. I was thinking for some reason those ones might not have it, but again, yeah, when we both looked it up, it there it was right there in the center of it. So yeah, even even uh, you know, there's some that are more significant than others, and I guess the bottom line, you're moving this thing at a high rate of speed. Um, you're you're going to want some sort of guidance in the middle to help keep things straight and on target. So uh, functionally, makes perfect sense. Now, I mean, the idea is. I guess it's a question of, I mean, the, the the bottom is still flat. It just got a little a little thing in it, you know, like a little divot. So I guess the question is, what are you doing with it? Functionally, if you need a flat bottom hole um, to mate with something else, you know, that uh, you could probably get away with it. But if you're looking for a flat bottom hole just because you're doing it as part of a design and, and that's going to be exposed, and then at that point you may not want that little, you know, spur hole there. So I, I can see where his concern is. You know, those are po- uh, post Beatles. Uh, you know, that that's they're leaving little things on there. People desire that. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, there was there was a design that I had done, if I'm remembering correctly. It was a jewelry box um, with and actually this was this was Nicole's idea, which was kind of neat. Um, we took the, the drawer fronts, two drawer fronts at a time taped them together or clamped them together and then drilled down with a very large Forstner bit to create a little recess. And then we put a little brass knob inside that recess. But when the drawers sit together, it looks like a full circle, but technically it's really just a half circle on the bottom of one drawer and a half circle on the top of one drawer. Um, Anyway, if that's not too confusing to understand, um, no one at all. The problem was that hollowed out area was to be exposed 
So we lucked out, though, because that spur goes right at the joint. And then when I just rounded over uh, the drawer front itself inside that uh, that area where the, the spur hole would be, it completely disguised it and you couldn't even tell that it was ever there. But it, that would be a case where, you know, when you're drilling something that's exposed, you're going to see it, that that spur might be a problem. So if, if anyone has a, a manufacturer, they could recommend that actually has Forstner bits that do not have a guiding spur in it. Um, let us know. Leave a, a, a voicemail or uh, send us an email or even leave a comment. Uh, on the site when we post this yeah absolutely i mean the only the only upside to this is it's not like the spade bit where you got the giant point in the middle anyways so it's definitely an upgrade over that but sure yeah that yeah i'm I'm positive though that you're right then the main reason why you're going to have that there ski is because of the fact that we have you know you want to make sure that that's a lot of material you know floating spinning around there so you want to make sure there's control and and holding it right in the center i guess if you really absolutely are working on something where you want an absolute flat bottom you could always go with like you know like one of those hinge mortising router bits if you could figure out how to work that into your project. Yeah, I'm you know, thinking safe. the the router is going to be the only backup plan for that. Yep, yeah, that would be the only. I had a similar project actually where um, a friend wanted a uh, like this serving platter. He wanted to like actually have the bottom kind of down a little bit deeper than the way it was. Apparently, the edges it was like hand uh, um, carved out something. And he's like, you know, so what can you do this with? Uh, with your tools, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. And I got home like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> and I, I tried that with a Forstner. I was like, all right, I'm just going to do like a grid, and I can like you know knock them out that way. And that's when I had this little divot. My wife looked at it. She goes, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's that that is that's the only downside to Forstner bits. But yeah, sure. other than that, all right. Yeah. And we will move on to our final email today. I think a voicemail. That's what I meant, Matt. Yeah, that one too. (laughs) All right, here we go. I'm like, wait a minute, did I miss something? (laughs) Right. All right, this is actually, um, this is a guy from New Jersey. Hi, guys. Jack Kaufman from Park Ridge, New Jersey. Um, I just finished watching Mark's episode six on uh, jointers and uh, planers, and I've got a question. I don't own either one, but I do have a pretty good router setup with a router table, and I'm just curious... If I would buy a just a planer, playing both sides of a board, I believe that would uh, give me both faces parallel, and then use the um, router and router table to edge joint uh, the two other faces. If that would be work, would work, or get some feedback to see where I'm not making the right decisions. I really appreciate an answer. Thank you guys, and keep up the great work. The program is terrific. Thank you. Okay, so do you see any vital flaw in what he's suggesting to do? Yeah, unfortunately, I see if he if he's just gonna let me get this right. He's, he's thinking about just buying the planer because he's got a decent router table that he could edge join. Is what it sounds like, right? And he wants to buy just the the planer to actually surface the boards, right? Uh, I think this is one of those 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 areas that it, it sounds good on paper and in your mind and everything, but when you actually try it, unfortunately. It's not going to work because the, the the main premise with the thickness planer is that it will give you two you know a, a nice uh, uh, dimension board exactly the way you want it and everything. But unfortunately, it's not going to give you a flat board. It is basically going to remove as much material on both sides. And even if you are dealing with a board that let's say is bowed and you want to make it nice and flat, the rolling arms as it's starting to the feeder uh, rollers actually excuse me will as you start to feed it in. They're strong enough they will actually flatten that board so when it removes the material, 
it's removing it nice and and at the same level. But the second it pops off the other end, that cup or that you know the the bowing will actually pop right back up in place. The cupping will pop back in. So mm-hmm. you get a nice dimensioned board that's the thickness you want it and everything else, but it's still going to have the same exact you know um, bowing cupping all that good stuff when it gets out the backside. So unfortunately. In theory, it sounds right, but you'd still need a jointer to get those boards nice and flat. And I speak from vast experience <laughs> when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you don't if you don't have that flat reference surface to begin with, then the jointer is not able to do its job as well as it otherwise could. I mean, sometimes you may get lucky, and people can survive with just a jointer for some time. Uh, or, I'm sorry, just a planer for some time because they choose the right boards at you know, at the lumber shop. So if you can get, you know, S4S or S2S material and you've at least got one flat face and you, I, you know, you sight down the board and it looks pretty, you know, pretty even, like it doesn't have a bunch of waves in it, you may be able to get away with, um, you know, with sending it through the planer and getting a relatively flat board without actually using a jointer. But in most cases, if you're talking about absolute uh, square, flat, parallel boards, you do need that, that jointer as the first step. Unfortunately, so. sorry. See, you can. There are ways to overcome it. Um, you really have to be creative about it. We've talked about it before, like you know, a planer sled where you can actually take the material and maybe put yeah. wedges. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, manipulate it in some way so that you can raise it so that the the high is you know not so high and the low is all covered and everything else. Yeah. And you can get decent results with it, but unfortunately, just simply to run the board through. Yeah, you're gonna just gonna have a parallel board with the same problem on both sides, basically. And in fact, I think what it does sometimes it actually is just an exercise in frustration because you don't have a way of getting one side absolutely flat. So a twist can become even worse the more you put yes. it in there, you know. And it just I've done that a few times trying to save some time, and I've regretted it every single time. So um, yep. yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing is you could always, if you're doing shorter boards, you might be able to get away with using. Uh, a bench plane to knock down the high spots, you know, and sort of split the difference that way, knock down those high points and then run it through. And you might be able to end up with a reasonably flat board. Um, but all in all, you know, sometimes you just need the right tool to, to satisfy a particular job. Yeah. Unfortunately it's very true. And nothing is worse than when you watch that cup pop out the backside and you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That is a pain. So I spent what on what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing, but you know, got to do what you got to do. So, all right, I think this wraps up our show today. If you want to give everybody our contact info. Yep, if you have heard something today that you want to send a little feedback in, like maybe some knockdown uh, information for our listener or some other ideas, drop us a line at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, and we'll pass the information on or talk about it here on the show. Or you can pick up your phone and call us at 623-242-2450. And, uh, you know, we will make sure to get the information where it belongs, like preferably on the show. So, <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And if uh, if you're in the cold weather uh, like poor Matt over here, I, I hope spring is soon on its way for you. And if you're in an area like mine, uh, hey, that's why we live here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, buddy. <laughs> Anyways, just because you're 50 degrees warmer than us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll see who's complaining in July. Anyway. It's true. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. And Matt, I will speak to you next week, sir. All right. You take care, buddy. Take, take care, care, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. Nice. Mark and Matt, this is Alan from Atlanta. Just driving to my local Woodcraft store to take advantage of a 15% uh, early morning deal. 
and was listening to your most recent podcast about the Woodworkers Guild and why so many people uh, are not joining them. One point that you didn't touch on is geography. And uh, to give you an idea, I when I looked at the Atlanta Woodworkers Guild, I wanted to join when I first started doing this a few years ago. But it's in the city of Atlanta, and I'm out in the burbs. So it's uh, it's a 30-mile drive just to join the Woodworkers Guild or just to go to the meeting, so I'm not going to do that. Conversely, uh, or I shouldn't say conversely, uh, a similar thing is that my woodcraft store is 20-some-odd miles from my house, so I don't uh, frequent that as often as I do, which is a drag because uh, Highland Woodworking uh, is a wonderful store, uh, and I can only get there during lunch hours. It's bad enough that I have a long commute on a daily basis, but um, that's probably also one of the reasons why people don't join the guilds, because they're just too far away. Anyways, that was my two cents. Also want to say a heads up on Mark, your point about the George Frank Adventures in Wood Finishing book. Great book. Read it 25 years ago when it first came out as well as the Krenov stuff. Anyways, uh, great show as always. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Uh, hey, uh, Matt and Mark. It's uh, Wilbur uh, from New Jersey. Um, I just li- I was listening to your show about the um, uh, issue with woodworking clubs and um, how uh, for lack of a better word, uh, virtual uh, woodworking uh, clubs such as you find on the Internet might be the wave of the future as opposed to your traditional um, uh, uh, woodworking club where people meet. Um, one thing about woodworking is that it's a very tactile um, uh, field, and there are some things that you just got to see in person, I think, um, in order to really appreciate it. Um, I know that when I first started um I saw what a hand plane could do in person, um, and that was when I understood what a truly thin shaving uh, would be and what a plane could do to a piece of wood. And I doubt that I would have ever gotten that, regardless of how many books, videos, or online uh, websites I uh, would have looked at. Um, Plus, there's uh, something that uh, being in person, you can get um, that you'll never get uh, online. And just an example of it, uh, the fact that you guys seem to be more attracted to voicemails rather than emails, um, I think is uh, uh, part of that issue. Uh, so anyway, that was just my thoughts. Um, that's why I called, uh, since you seem to like voicemails rather than emails. Take care, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Great show. My name is John from Minnesota. Uh, just listening to the guy asking about staining with wax or using wax with color in it or staining with it um norm did it once i was watching his show he took shoe polish and added it to wax he added black to give something an antique color but i would think you could use brown colors of shoe polish mixed in with the wax and probably get the same effect um i don't remember i think it was a mirror that norm was doing and uh he did it with the black to give it an antique look so there's an idea for adding color to waxes. Thanks. Great show. Bye. 